Welcome to Podcana. This is episode number three. Uh, this is a podcast all about Disney's Lorcana TCG. I'm Flake. I'm joined as always by Brendan Patrick, and we bring you the news, the headlines, and all the hottest discussion points surrounding the card game. How are you, Brendan? Very good, very good. So yeah, this week's episode, we're going to be talking about organized play, what direction we think Lorcana will take, be looking at some other games, what they've done, what they've done right, what they've done wrong, as well as dig into some of the new spoilers that came out that are extremely interesting, Flake. Um, I think they tell us a lot about the game that we didn't know previously. Let's go ahead and get into it. So as always, this tradition that we've uh, cultivated here at Podcana is the Elsa Icebreaker. And this one is brought to you by Disney Lorcana Dad. Uh, it wasn't actually Disney Lorcana, but Disney Lorcana Dad submitted one uh, basically saying, hey, I want you guys to pick a Disney sidekick. Now, we're going to kind of qualify this, uh, which was, do we get to pick somebody who is kind of designated as the sidekick, such as like Iago to Jafar or Carpet and Abu to Aladdin, uh, or or is it just any character that you want in your corner in the in the road of life? So I'm pretty sure my answer will satisfy both conditions, but I think it should be any character. That way you can you have a you have more to pick from, can get a bit more creative with it. What Flake, who's yeah. your who's your sidekick? Okay, so you, you already know my affection and affinity for Hercules. Disney's Hercules is like one of the most underrated Disney movies mm -hmm. ever of all time. So the first thing that came to mind was Pegasus. Like, how can it not be Pegasus? A flying horse, your sidekick. It's like having, it's like, you know, man's best friend is not dog. It's winged horse creature. <laughs> that said, it, it eventually just kind of epiphany style occurred to me. How do you not pick Genie? How do you not pick Genie? It is like having anything you want. It could be 10 sidekicks, 1,000 sidekicks. It could be any sidekick you want. Genie is the S-tier selection for sidekick. Yeah, so for me, it's actually not going to be Genie. It's Mowgli, of course, Jungle Book, helping you find your way through the forest. Um, I think I do remember the name of Robin Hood's sidekick. I think it's a Little John, Robin Hood Little John. Walking through the forest. Uh, yeah, it's a song. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. So that's a good one. But I'm gonna go ahead and go with Mowgli because I actually think that for me, uh, I think Hercules is a great movie. I do agree it's under underrated. But Jungle Book might I think be even more underrated because I think Hercules has that sort of broad appeal. Everybody knows the story. You know, it's kind of cool and actiony. But Jungle Book is very unassuming, but a fantastic, fantastic Disney movie. Yeah, but I mean, like Genie is just Genie. I think the one thing about it might be just the fact that you might get really annoyed after a while if Genie's just up in your grill like 24-7. Like you might, I get it. Like Robin Williams, an absolute comedic genius, he he embodied that character. And little known fact, or maybe it's not so little, but a lot of the stuff that's in that movie is ad-libbed by Robin Williams and they kind of adapted the movie to just kind of encapsulate and, and put his performance you know, into into animation, which is really cool. But at a certain point, I have to be like, okay, like there has to be a schedule. I'd be like, you are my sidekick for this these four hours, and then again for four hours later in the evening, because I don't think I could I could deal with that twenty four seven. Yeah, I feel like you're the type of guy that they would uh, you you get the three wishes, and your third wish would be three more wishes. Well, yeah, if there's if it's available, that's the ultimate loophole. Like, how do you not do that? If like if the if the if the fine print doesn't say you can't wish for more wishes. I mean, I get it. In the movie, yeah, they said you can't wish for more wishes. You only get three. 
But if it's not out there, if they don't say that, I would lawyer the hell out of this league for sure. Yeah, you sound like someone who would play the color blue in a card game. <laughs> You're so... All right, let's go to the headlines. And the headlines uh, is uh, the, right out of the gate here is the fact that it was discovered or revealed as such in the back of one of the products uh, for Disney Larkana that there's going to be a companion app. And not much has been leaked about a companion app, but I've got some wild, I wouldn't call them theories as much as they are desires when it comes to what the companion app might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> so we see com- companion apps accompany games this is this is pretty common um the depth of the companion app and it, it, what function it exactly serves i think is pretty variable uh with a game like lorcana i could see the companion app being more of a database right uh, a database that has like an additional layer on top of it where you could potentially build decks aggregate cards to like collections um you know, like a collection tracker as well as like some very intelligent filtering um, software, so that way you can find the cards you're looking for. I know the first set of Larkana is going to be 200-something cards, so it's pretty easy. Um, but as, as as we get more and more sets, it will become quite complicated. So maybe some keyword searching, things like that, so you can build tribal decks, build you know whatever deck you want to. What do you think of like? So there's the wild pie-in-the-sky kind of ambition for me, which is that eventually this might lead into an actual you know digital version of the game. That's a whole other... Uh, piece of the pie to discuss that's an episode in itself to discuss what Mm. a digital version of the game might look like but from the physical standpoint what i'm seeing with this which i've seen in other card games as well i think pokemon might do it is that you can use for instance if the if the card packs have a token involved maybe at the back of the token there's a qr code or a code that you can redeem that earns you points uh or packs if there was a digital client of the game but points that you could you know bank and earn and eventually perhaps just you know, um, redeem for promos or maybe entries into tournaments or something like that. I think that that is certainly something uh, that goes above and beyond the the standard uh, collection management system. This is more of an engaging uh, incentive to collect and buy more cards. And frankly, at the end of the day, it's a business, right? And and if you can create an app that entices people to buy 5% more product, I think that that's definitely an investment that will see significant returns. Well, uh, speaking of business and speaking of products, I do want to poke the beast of that question you talked a little bit about there, that statement about there being an online digital client. Um, let's touch, let's touch on it. So they're, you know, in the current, sort of age of TCGs and CCGs, we've seen these sort of digital-only games come out, these sort of, now with Flesh and Blood, a physical-only game. It's kind of a one-of-a-kind in that sense. Uh, but I think that, you know, the most effective one is sort of a hybrid, like a mod, uh, like a melding, where Premier Play and in-store organized play is supported and is robust in paper, but the accessibility of online and online digital client is still available. I actually think that Lorcana will launch being a physical TCG. And I do think that eventually they will probably scale into a digital client. It could be a sort of abbreviated version of the game. It could be a simplified version of the game or it could just be full the full game online. I think that that, I actually, you know, playing Flesh and Blood for as long as we have, I do think that a digital experience of a physical card game is very beneficial. Like I, I understand where, if you look at something like Magic the Gathering, where the pitfalls of that can be, you know, pushing things more online, you know, cutting your, cutting your in-person play not good but with like flesh and blood specifically flesh and blood does have a third party online play and i think it was a massive um sort of good thing it was a great thing for the game like it it was very very supplemental to 
in person in play flesh and blood giving people the ability to play the game uh try things out etc cetera, etc cetera. so i actually think that lorcana will eventually scale into that and i do think that that's the the best thing they can do i just like i think the 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 key component to a card game being successful is people playing that card game and you want to cre- make that barrier to entry low so here's here's why i think that it's definitely going to happen a because i think that it's just another you know guarantee revenue stream because again like you said when something is just exclusively physical your your options are very limited and that that need is going to be met by somebody and like you said in flesh and blood there are third party people or third parties that have created what are i guess quote unquote rule enforcement platforms it's just the game it's what it is it's the game you have access to all the cards i think that if disney doesn't come out much like flesh and blood did and said hey this is part of the core tenets of what we are which is playing in flesh and blood we want nothing to do with digital that isn't to say we're going to shut everything down and go on witch hunts to cr- to crush those kinds of of things but at the same time if disney's not doesn't have that same kind of staunch uh stance about not ad- ad- you know adventuring into it if they catch wind that people are already developing it themselves on their own they might just say like instead of pumping money into like legal battles or, or, or the or, or fighting this legally why don't we just develop it ourselves like i think that that's kind of their their mentality flesh and blood doesn't do it because it conflicts with what the game's core spirit is and mm-hmm. i don't think that that's what lorcana is 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 really good that's not the hill that they're gonna die on yeah i actually think that flesh and blood also physically can't right now i don't think that they have the the manpower um in the company i think that flesh and blood actually will create a a sort of official online client eventually just right now they're too busy and too swamped um with the expansion that they've had um thus we have the third party I think it's abundantly clear at this point that online clients, like physical TCGs are freaking awesome. We love it. We love playing with real cards. We love playing in person, but an online way to do that as well, as long as it doesn't cannibalize that physical experience is 100% good. It's a great thing for the game. All right. So new card leaks, Brendan, Uh, you want to let us know what we're seeing here. Yeah. So popped up on, if you're watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see it. But the first one we're going to talk about is healing glow. It is one cost, but I have to make this, <laughs> I have to sort of add this caveat that it's the one cost with the sort of like pip stylization around it. <laughs> I wish I could have a better word for that, but it's healing glow. Um, hey, Flake, do you remember what, uh, what this element is called? The gold uh, is one? This- amethyst is it amethyst yeah the gold one always escapes me we'll we'll say gold so heal and go gold action um and it says it's a one cost by the way it says remove up to two damage from chosen character all right so there's a lot going on here flake and uh first thing i want to point out is chosen character so uh my friend sasha was speculating on twitter that he thinks that this alludes to a multiplayer format uh sort of designed uh top down initially in the game i think that this is just opening up design so that you can target your opponent's creatures right so there some t- if you look at a card like this you're like oh it never makes sense to heal my opponent's creature or whatever vernacular you want to use for that um maybe not right now maybe not in set one but i think if you're going to design a card like this and you want it to be able to scale into the future without something like an errata this is the correct verbiage to use and give players that ability the ability to heal their opposing their opposing uh, uh their opponent's characters um even if it's not relevant i also want to talk about <laughs> remove 
So remove up to two damage from chosen character. I think that this puts the absolute nail in the coffin of the theory that there is going to be persistent damage. We still don't know if it's persistent damage for a turn cycle or the entire game. At this point, with the tokens, with this sort of wordage, I do think that it is for the entire game, to be honest. And it's really interesting to, to see something like remove instead of heal. So there isn't like a... I mean, heal is just a universally understood word for this kind of uh for this kind of action but instead they use remove i think that's because the damage counters go on top of the cards themselves um and you're just like literally removing them from the card anything that comes to mind for you flick well the first thing that comes to mind is like you mentioned um there are if, if you know those who say that why would i want to you know heal my opponent's characters have clearly never played hearthstone and their enrage effects and stuff like that mm -hmm. not to mention i have memories of milling an uh, enemy priest as priest because they had uh that one three drop that whenever something gets healed draw a card and you just mass heal the board and they draw a million cards and mill themselves out like so there's always implications but like yeah you keep the door open in terms of you don't want to sort of paint yourself into a corner with terminology that you said will eventually need a narrata this isn't a digital thing so you have to have these the foresight to know that the 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 words that you use are going to be accurate today tomorrow and 10 years from now like obviously there's going to be situations where they might have to come in and release information or something and say hey we can't you know we this means this now or whatever or this is the the you know ongoing errata um the other thing about it is remove up to two counters uh, it says up to yeah up to two counters um when you say that they haven't used the term heal, I don't think that's because they're avoiding necessarily the term heal. They might be waiting for to use the term heal to mean remove all counters. Mm. So just put them back to their natural state. And again, that's speculation, but there has been um, Lord of the Rings TCG by Decipher back in the day differentiated the term between removing damage counters and fully healing. Like those were actually uh, two different things. So it's completely possible that heal is still something that exists and it might just mean to fully um to fully clean something up but ultimately i think that yeah the persistent damage thing is put to bed like this basically in my mm -hmm. mind just solidifies that fact yep and it's the length of persistence that is really the key question at this point um i think the persistent damage is going to be a universal negative if the board state like if the amount of characters you put on the board is not limited um because if you've ever played something like keyforge i think one of the key issues with that game is how big the board states can get and how complicated they are because of that um and if you add counters onto that it's just it's it would be so frustrating like if you played a deck like hardened scales in magic the gathering right so many freaking one one counters you're like constantly ticking it up it's like you're you're doing like a game outside of the game just trying to tick up all these counters and if you add two vectors of doing that in something like disney lorcana which is like you're ticking up and down the health and you're also ticking up and down the damage based off effects if those exist like that's a lot to do um if you're limited to like three characters then yeah i mean it's really not that bad it's six things to do but if it gets up to like you know 10 plus very very tedious um one thing i want to note here as well is i think that if you see this it says action again once again, we've only this. This looks to be sorcery speed, and we've so far from every single spoiler we've seen. It does look like 
turn turns are done independently, right? So there, it doesn't look like there's any sort of priority um, passing off between you and the opponent during each turn. Therefore, everything you do on your turn is completely done by you. Your opponent can't respond. I'm not even sure if they're going to be able to like quote unquote block. Um, but yeah, once again, sorcery speed, no instant speed interaction at this. Um, and the last thing I want to call attention to is the value, right? So we have a card here that's effectively one for two. Um, <laughs> two, be, two in a game like this, rather than flesh and blood, it's obviously quite different. But healing two damage for the cost of one, and it's also it's not only the cost of one; it's one plus this like stylized symbol. Uh, it gives us a good idea of like how they value two damage, right? It's it's one resource, and maybe it's even one resource on color, one specialized resource. I'm not sure. One resource in a pip. Um, I don't know what it is, but yeah, just. Good to look back at this card when you look at higher cost cards and you're trying to figure out like how does this line up for like the value of this card? Like is this card broken or is this kind of normal, et cetera, et cetera. All right. Well, I think that puts that to bed. Um, We got the next one is uh, Magic Mirror, and this is a new type of card as well. Yeah, Magic Mirror is uh, very, very interesting. So. I'm going to go ahead and read it. So it's two re- two resources, no stylization. So like the two sort of uncategorized resource. We got to figure out a name for this, Flakes. Magic Mirror. <laughs> it's in it's in purple or in black, and it's an item. I think it's Onyx or something like that. But we'll get we'll get those down too. So it's an item which is new for us, and it says speak, um, tap this, pay for resources, unstylized again, draw a card. So the most important thing about this. Um, is that it's an engine. So this is a card draw engine, which is, uh, it does look very expensive. Obviously we have no, (laughs) we have no reference for how easy it is to gain resources, like how many resources you'll have turn to turn. But nevertheless, like, you know, paying two to get this on the battlefield, four to draw a card, based off how much we've seen other cards cost, like this effectively costing six to just draw a single card. This looks very, very expensive to draw a card. Um, but as an engine, like that's really, really cool. So, the fact that this is a repeatable effect that you can sink resources into is honestly a sort of uh, an avenue of playing the game that we didn't even know was going to exist. So this would potentially incentivize you to uh, control your opponent's board, lock out the game state, and then utilize this card to generate advantage turn over turn. Um, I think this also kind of puts us puts uh, sort of reinforces the theory that this like black purple color is actually the most controlling like if we look at elsa elsa is a card that goes on the battlefield and taps other things so it does look like so far that black is is probably the control i like it and uh again the fact that it's an item we don't know what other kinds of card types might be uh you know wheeling around the corner but uh if there's items there's going to be ways also to interact with items so you're you can probably suspect um you know, I could see something like a card like Aladdin, let's say. And mm-hmm. imagine an Aladdin card, you know, Aladdin starts out as like a thief, right? And maybe he has an effect that steals items. And maybe that's an expensive effect or something like that. But like you mentioned, like in other card games, typically when you there's a card like this with an expensive card draw effect, usually that is associated with control, like you said. Mm-hmm. Usually it's invest small amounts, wait for your opponent to play. If they don't play or they don't have anything to do, you can just draw a card. You know, if there's nothing going on, you can just sort of shore up your hand, shore up your options, and increase your, your you know, hand wealth, as it were, and then you can go from there. But uh, at the moment, I feel like Magic Mirror is a, gives us a nice uh, indication to what the color identities are, are going to be. So slower, uh, slower play, more controlling play, more methodical uh, is what I'm getting from this. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, like one thing I want to point out here is like, so you talked about item and interacting with items. I, there might be a way to interact with items, but the reason that this is an item, um, and I think the reason it costs what it does is because specifically because it's less interactable than a, than a, a creature would be in Lorcana. I think in Lorcana it's pretty clear at this point that you'll be able to attack other creatures and banish them. So you'll be able to target your opponent's creatures. So I think if this ability was actually printed on a creature, it would cost a bit less, but because it's an item, I think that your opponent will have less agency to actually deal with it and remove it maybe there is something specific like aladdin like aladdin maybe aladdin can steal items but i think uh, uh at, at by default items will be somewhat uninteractable like hard to interact with well other card games have um for example if you're looking at magic there's very typically things that deal with artifacts which i guess could be considered the items of uh uh you know we can draw those parallels <coughs> excuse me but the cards that deal with them are typically sideboard cards. They're cards that are bad on their own or very, you know, aimed at one specific duty. They're low-statted, high-costed, because the trade-off is that, you know, rather than getting a 4-4 four, four for 3 in Magic, you're getting a 2-1 or a 2-2 two, two for 3 that takes out an enchantment or an item. And it's it's still a body, but it's lo- it's understated. But the, it's the effect you're you're basically playing for. We don't know if there's going to be sideboards. We don't know what formats are going to look like necessarily. But I suspect that if there are cards that are going to interact with these, they're going to be understated, overpriced, you know, bad cards unless you do face something that deals with items. Yeah, I think that um, <clears throat> also just want to reiterate it's something we've talked about, but because this is a tap ability, <clears throat> I think it reinforces the theory that I mean, it's I mean, I would say ninety nine percent at this point, <clears throat> there is a baked in untap step at some point in the player's turn. I'm not sure if that will be at the beginning of the turn or whether at the end of the turn, but it looks like things uh, things are tapped on demand. Like you as a player have the agency to tap things um, and then they untap at some sort of, sort of step during the turn. Um, something to keep in mind. And then lastly, if you look at Magic Mirror, uh, this ability speak, tap, four resources, draw a card. I, it's just interesting that they've chosen this sort of keywording with speak, right? So I think that this card would have functioned completely fine without speak being before this, this card's ability. But as we've seen with something like... Uh, Malefic- Maleficent? Oh, God, I always say that one wrong. You're the worst, man. Uh, yeah. We With need the- like a counter. And we need- <laughs> just yeah. like somebody somebody in chat just phonetically spell it for our good friend, Brendan. We saw, I'm just going to call it like Maria or something. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, as we see in Maria, like the, the card ability that's baked into that card is also a spell card in and of itself. So, um, so I wonder if like speak is like also a card that's like four resist draw, draw a card or just like if it could just be for flavor that they've added this uh, this speak text to it. Anything else for you to say in terms of Magic Mirror? Uh, just, I honestly think that just they're just adding spice to the card. I don't think that the naming of the actual moves uh, is going to affect anything. It, I don't think there's anything beyond it other than just adding sort of a little bit more personality to the card. Like you're able to just say like, all right, well, Magic Mirror speaks. And then, bam, and then you you do what you do and go from there. Because, like, a lot of the cards have really, have, you know, effects that have names, as it were, that Mm -hmm. are just associated to either a a line from a movie or just, you know, alludes to the personality of the character. Yeah, one thing I want to say is that uh, Lorcana on their Twitter was asking... Uh, they were sort of teasing the the public, saying, should we spoil a villain, a hero, or an ally? 
I just want to let you all know that the answer to that should definitely be Ally, because the only Ally we've seen is Olaf, which is probably the most perplexing card in, in Lorcana right now. And I would love to see another Ally to sort of try to try to figure out what the heck that thing is, like why Olaf exists, like what role it's playing, whether allies are summoned. Like Ally is just at this point is kind of eluding me in terms of its its actual function and how it's created or you know what the they purpose of it is. They didn't spoil it yet, did they? No, they did not. Okay, well, if you're listening, Lorcana, just spoil all three. Like, why <laughs> are you doing this to us? I, I don't get it. And I said Gaston, and I'm like, you can decide if he's a hero or a villain. But if you've got Gaston in the bag, like, you bust that bad boy out right now. Yeah, for uh, sure. All right. Our main topic, again, was organized play. Um, Brendan, I think in terms of actual experience in organized play, you are leagues ahead of me when it comes to actually playing in bigger competitions. Um, I've been to a bunch of them but i've been on the broadcast side as have you actually so you have a very well-rounded perspective of what op organized play can be so that is the uh that is the the meat uh, we've gone through the potatoes now we're at the meat of the discussion brendan organized play uh the first thing i want to do is again friends who are listening i am doing my absolute best um short of actual like shameless sucking up i have contacted and i have had discussions with disney lorcana asking them to just give us a tip like throw us a bone dude like just a little bit of kibble something i can chew on i said we're doing an episode about um op can you please just you know give us a little scooby snack about this please 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 and then the response i got was literally in quotations was I can only say, quote unquote, spring, and that is the best that we can do, and, and we appreciate you, and sorry for this, but that's, that's I did my journalistic duty, and that's the best I can offer right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, de they're definitely, I think that it's actually a good thing, is that they have, it's clear that they have an actual strategy behind when they're trying to release this information, um, which, I mean, it sounds like a no-brainer, but you would be surprised. I think a lot of a lot of card games just kind of, you know, kind of play it by ear. There's a lot of other things that they're worrying about that are kind of bigger ticket items, right? Like actually getting this thing on shelf, these things on shelves. But it looks like, you know, Lorcana, despite releasing in August, has a has like an actual content roadmap and pipeline for how they're spoiling things and when they want the information to get out. Um, and yeah, I've actually, I've been pretty happy with what we're getting so, so far. We're getting a lot more than I expected. And they are very receptive, which is also surprising. Yeah, they've been very good at sort of answering questions and just being out there. The um, whoever is behind that account, like bless you, w way to go! It's been very uh, enlightening to know that somebody's out there, kind of paying attention and keeping their you know their finger in the air to to catch which way the wind's blowing. And it's it's nice, but um, spring can mean um, in ex in exactly a month from now, and it can be in four months from now. So it, the window, the margin for that information is rather wide. I I believe that if they're saying, quote unquote, spring, it's because they don't necessarily have a date. If they had a date, I think that they would say the month at the very least. They'd say, oh, it's coming in April or it's coming in uh, March or May or whatever. Um, I would I would venture to say that it's likely coming out. I would say that it's probably coming out in like late april that's mm -hmm. my guess for it i think that that's a fair thing people are going to be geared up for the summer make plans for gen con and uh i think that what's coming with it is going to be like you mentioned this kind of tier list of the types of events and their first big one i think that's what they want to 
the framework that they want to do is say, here's what here here's what you can expect. Mm-hmm. Something from all the way down to the levels of your standard like Friday Night Magic that happens at your LGS at your local game store, all the way up to something like, well, you know, there's a a twenty five thousand dollar tournament going on this month in this city to things like a world championship. And I, I honestly believe that any organized play that ignores a quote-unquote world championship and a national championship level thing is not re- is not doing it right. And I don't think that they would ignore that. So I think on the highest end, there's going to be national champions, championships, which are like the, the second to highest tier, and then you'll have your world championship. And then I don't, I can't really discern what everything below that is but they're gonna have to have a foothold on a day like magic has because magic and fnm is you know bread and butter like it's it's peanut butter and jelly you got i think that they have to lock down something along those lines but friday night is like that is a that is like prime real estate yeah i think it's really important when you launch a new uh physical card game like this to give players something to uh, aspire to right um because the the argument for someone to buy into like a TCG that has hundreds of cards available for the sole reason of having fun uh, on their kitchen table, I think is a pretty hard sell with the first set, right? Because it's like, why would you not? <laughs> it's kind of hard to be like, how is that better than a board game? Because it's it's not, right? I think what's better about TCGs is the ability, like the sort of scaling ability you have to play them, right? You can play them with your friends and you on your kitchen table. You can go to your local game store, meet people, like make friends, get better at the game. And then you can also play in some of these larger, more prestigious tournaments. It's like a very, very unique experience to like anything else that's on the market, I think. What I on, what I believe that they'll release with is I think that they will re- release a sort of robust plan for organized play in stores. So like a Friday Night Magic, like an FNM, um, I think that's critical to the game. And they've shown many uh, sort of many leading indicators so far that they're they're invested in that, and that's important to them. With the game releasing earlier in local game stores rather than online, it's going to be clear that playing playing this game at your local game store is going to be important. Which, yeah, I mean, that's that's absolutely necessary if you're going to have a physical trading card game. Um, I do believe that they will also announce at least one major tournament, right? Like, I don't think it's going to be a Grand Prix circuit or a calling circuit if you come from Flesh and Blood, or even like maybe like a RCQ or kind of regional circuit. All they really have to announce, to be honest, uh, to get everyone excited and I think invested in playing the game is like a world championship. And I think that the first world championship could even be open invite. Usually world championships are closed, right? They are pro- they are by invitation only, um, but you need some sort of qualifying circuit to do that. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them announce the robust in-store play, which is probably their main focus at this point, and then some sort of top-end tournament for people to sort of grind for and aspire to. So let me ask you this then. If there's a world championship, let's say that the first one is an open, like you mentioned, that mm-hmm. it's like, hey, you want to show up, like sign up and and we'll we'll crown a world champion. It's a world champion. Like uh, if we're going from just North America, just the US, there's a lot of Canadians that go down to a lot of these events in the US for card games. Like you can go to, for example, Flesh and Blood. Flesh and Blood's uh, calling in Indianapolis had like 500 people in mm-hmm. it. So uh, that's just those for a mid-tier tournament or like you know above above average kind of i guess i don't know what you call it a tier three or whatever but ultimately how big would you have to open the open the gates for this for like how how many people are going to sign up is it a five thousand person tournament in which case you've got like what 
20 rounds of Swiss. Like it's, exactly. it's insanity. So I think that it can't be an open. I think that there has to be, like you said, some kind of qualifying, um, some sort of, I wouldn't call it like ELO necessarily, but flesh and blood also invites people based on XP. Like you go to your events, you acquire XP by playing you don't necessarily need to win a tournament. You just need to win games here and there, and you could acquire XP. The more you play, the better chance you have of getting into some of these things. I think that maybe that's where the companion app kicks in. Maybe the companion app is something like DCI or the gem the, the gem system where, you know, you, you log in, you say, I'm at this event. Uh, they, the people who are running the event give you like a code. You punch it in. You punch in your record. It, it sort of pairs you up or whatever. You say, I won, I lost, whatever. Congratulations, you got points. And then those points can then be parlayed into invites to major tournaments because I can see if they, if they want to make a, a, a world championship in 2023, then they're going to be scrambling to qualify people because if it's an open, it's going to be a nightmare. It's going to be this massive horde of zombies like and, and the fast zombies, the, the last of us zombies, <laughs> like th those types. So it's... It's it has to be built in with a qualifying um, system. Yeah, it could be, or they could go with the what I would see is the wrong way to do it, which is they would just have a player cap on it, and in this kind of game, it would sell out almost instantly. You've seen this this issue with the yeah. one, one Piece TCG, which recently came out. Um, the tournaments sell out extremely fast, and it's like it's a game within the game to actually sign up for these things. Um, what you described is kind of the the pinnacle, right? Like if that's what they do, then this is a this is a big deal, especially for competitive card game players. I think that's a lot more than what most people expect, but that is absolutely the ideal. Um, I'm not sure if that is what will happen. Um, it definitely is what I would like to happen, but it's it's tough. It's tough because you, you look at you look at Lorcana and you can tell that it's a more casual card game. You can tell what sort of audience it was designed for, but Pokemon was designed for the same audience and it's quite a competitive game. So I don't think that that necessarily correlates to a game being more competitive or less competitive, especially when it comes to OP support. Um, I just it's it's tough to speculate on that because that is going so far above and beyond. Um, and usually and with what you've seen with magic as they sort of scaled that pro that 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 side of the business down is like it doesn't translate directly to bottom line at least not immediately right it's much more of a sort of tertiary effect that you see in the future and etc cetera, etc cetera. it's kind of like brand building for the game so it's it, i would be impressed and surprised if they did come out of the system like that obviously it's it's very very ideal but i think for speculation's sake we can assume that they will because um, if they don't, then, I mean, we have nothing to talk about in terms of organized play. I do think that, yeah, the top-end tournament is really important. And I, if you're creating a new trading card game, uh, it's it's critical to have uh, something that players can aspire to and try to try to build up towards. So what does the low end look like? Like, because I was talking about the the power of FNM. Sometimes it's just people, it's on, the, it's, it's on people's calendars. It's, mm -hmm. it's printed on there. It's like, hey, it's Friday. We go to the LGS at 6. Like, that's what we do. Um, I, I feel like if they're trying to catch that casual crowd and get people to play the game, they need to entice people to play at the lowest possible levels to, to, to just say like, Hey, this, there's a game behind this. And, and like you mentioned with Pokemon, uh, you know, when I go to a, um, when I go to my LGS Harry Tarantula here in Toronto and I'm playing in an armory, the amount of people that come into the into the, the, the into the store and just younger kids with their parents or whatnot and that are just buying 
cards because the, they like that particular Pokemon or they like that character or whatever, or they buying packs because they want a particular type of Pokemon that's only in that set or whatever. They're, they don't care about the rules. I think that if Lorcana is going to attract that kind of, uh, that kind of player base or that kind of collector, those types of collectors, that that demographic, they need something to introduce them to the fact that, hey, you could play these cards and these are, there's an actual game behind this and you can build a community and harbor a community that might grow into these bigger things. So I think on the, like, you'll as soon as you say, like you mentioned, you were spot on about this. And when you say world championship, a lot of people's ears are going to prop up and be like, it's like a dog whistle for so many people out there. Like, they're just like, yep, I'm in. I, I don't care where, what, how I want to get invested in this and I want to figure it out. There's, there's an allure to that for a certain demographic of player. You don't need to attract those players. They, they're already built in. That is, that's already sold. That is, that's already a, a sure thing. You need to attract the players who are reluctant to actually play this outside of their home. Maybe they play with their brother, their parents, their their kids uh, at their home, but they might be in, um, intimidated by going to a place and actually setting it up. And that is possibly um, that that needs to be bridged. That's a gap I think that needs to be bridged, and that is bridged by having a very well run, well established low end to the OP structure. And I think that that's something that a lot of people might forget is that it's cool to have a million dollar prize pool for a world championship circuit. But if you don't have anybody who's supporting it at the grassroots lower level, I don't need to talk about how many LGS owners say that the games that they support as much as they love them are just kind of floundering at the lower levels because nobody shows up to the small stuff. Yeah, definitely. Uh, sorry for like, I had a rogue thought creep into my mind here, which is you talked about Pokemon and kids coming in to buy certain cards because they like them. They want to you know, complete their collection, et cetera, et cetera. I was just thinking about the Disney IP. Is the Disney IP actually marketed towards kids? Because I was just wondering, like, and everybody listening, let me know in the comments below. Who actually watches Disney movies? Like, if you talk about something like Frozen, yes, I think that has a broad appeal. A lot of kids watch that movie. But with cars we've already seen, like, who's seen the original Hercules, right? Or the, the animated Hercules movie? I think it's mostly kind of like older people, right? Like me and you. That was like, that was something when we were kids. Do kids even watch those movies anymore? Like, some of them are freaking VHSs. Like Robin Hood, that, that's a very, very old movie. So this, this intellectual property, is it, is it marketed towards kids or is it... Is it uh, approachable for kids, but it's actually marketed towards, you know, people in their early 30s, maybe early, late 30s, kind of this like gen, what is it? I don't know, whatever. I don't know if it's gen whatever. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. And there, that, that, ex that right there tells us how old we are. <laughs> let's, just, so. let's just call it middle-aged. <laughs> Got it. I'm in. All right. Um, it's a good point that you're making here. And I think that Disney Plus, I don't know how old Disney Plus is now, like two, three years old or something like that. Um, Disney Plus did a lot to open up that because I think that you're completely right. There, A lot of these movies existed solely like, sure, there was DVDs and stuff like that, but nobody, no kids watch DVDs. No <laughs> kids watch VHS or, you know, let alone Blu-rays or DVDs. Like anything that you have to pull off a shelf, make a decision and pop into it. Like there's physical toil. It's it's a struggle to get this done. Like it's, oh my goodness, I have to take something off the shelf and put it in a machine and then wait. No, no, no. You just go onto the app. Like I have a lot of friends who have kids. 
their kids don't watch Disney necessarily. They watch Paw Patrol. They watch whatever else is they on watch Netflix. Mr. Beast on YouTube or something. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's it. Dude, they watch Minecraft videos. They are so adept at scrolling through YouTube, they don't care about watching an entire Robin Hood or a, a Hercules or an Aladdin or whatnot. I'm sure if they if you introduced it to them, they might be show appeal, but this is not what they're into. They're into... And I say that I'm not a, I don't, I'm not a dad. I don't have kids, but I just go by what my friends who have, you know, I'm the quote unquote uncle for like 15 kids. And from what I understand, they like Spider-Man, like they like superheroes because you could see them in small clips and phrases, but longer established movies, like you said, like the jungle book or Aladdin or beauty and the beast, like it, that take like, <laughs> like a movie like beauty and the beast takes a lot of attention yeah, for a dude. long time. Ain't nobody got time for that. I got to go see who can hold their hand on a freaking car for the longest. You know? <laughs> it's like, who can get buried alive or like whatever the some of these videos are about. Yeah, I mean, especially with like shorts and stuff like that. Um, You did mention, by the way, something I want to bring back up. You mentioned Worlds and it being an open tournament and something like 20 Swiss rounds. Uh, one thing to keep in mind is we don't know how long uh, a game of Lorcana will last. And I think it, I would actually... So the only thing that makes me think that it could potentially last as long as like a magic game or a game of flesh and blood, so let's say total match time around 60 minutes, is the fact that there's 60 card decks. That's a big deck. But I think if we're looking at modern card games, I don't think the direction of modern card games is 60 minute matches. I think that it's actually much, much shorter, specifically because of attention span, but also because there's really not... There's not a lot of reasons um, for... a turn like a lot of turns in something like magic the gather or even flesh and blood to exist flesh and blood is a bit different because it has simultaneous turns like players can both attack and block um so you're kind of playing on both both sides of the turn cycle but like in magic like turn four you say land go there's no reason for that to be to be a thing it's like if you can condense the game and actually cut out these sort of um, boring parts of it or these parts that don't actually contribute to the board set and move the game in a direction i think that's actually optimal and like you see with something like marvel snap it's like what if a game of arcana is like 10 minutes five minutes not five minutes five is a little short but like something like 10 minutes right it's like a condensed game experience do you think that's possible i think it's possible i think it's frankly i think it's actually uh um probable uh mm -hmm. in that in that regard because look a flesh and blood game there are concerns because a lot of the winning strategies are long-winded strategies that go to time and when i say time i'm not talking about 30 minutes we're talking about 50 50 to 50 to 55 minutes an hour that is impossible for like you said, somebody watches a, a 60 second short and probably skipped it halfway through. Like that's just kind of, and this isn't like a boomer kind of situation where like, oh, kids these days don't have attention spans. I don't have a freaking attention span yeah. for that either. And the only reason why I get enjoyment from playing a 50 minute Oldham control game in Flesh and Blood is because I'm a control player at heart. It's just something, but like when something's on the TV, you know, if I slam on a, a Netflix series, it's probably about seven minutes until I'm jamming Marvel Snap while I'm watching it. Like, that's kind of where my head's at. Marvel Snap found this really great time, like, just one card at a time, or like one, you know, draw one card, play one, there's six turns, that's it, maybe seven, and you go from there, mm -hmm. games are five minutes at the tops. That's great. I think that they have to... If it's if it's ten minutes or less, you're losing interest in a lot of players because players already feel like games are decided by dice rolls, and if you draw a bad hand and you're already dead, like that's not a good feeling. I think the magic spot here is that ag aggressive decks win in between ten and fifteen mi minutes, and 
controlling decks win in 25 to 30 minutes. I think that that is the magic number. Anything beyond that is should be outliers. Like control mirrors can go to time, but time in that regard is like there's always going to be sort of a play that might get you over the top. There's inevitability in that regard. It's not like you're, you know... Uh, you know, swinging sledge, block block two cards, swing sledge, block two cards. Like, it's none of that. Time could also be 20 minutes, right? Like, there's no reason time has to be an hour. Um, this is the time limit on the game. Um, one thing I want to point out, by the way, and it's actually, I know we're digressing from organized play, but it, but it's it's a current issue I have with the design of Lakana and the the, design, the direction it seems to be going. It seems like they've, it, it does seem clear that the turns will be done independently. It looks like there's, the turns are done, you know, all sorcery speed, no priority. You do your turn, the opponent does, does their turn, which is good in the sense that it's it is more simple. Yes, it is. But I'm gonna totally flake with I'm honestly like it's boring. It's boring as hell. It's super boring to watch your opponent play their turn and for you to just sit there. It sucks. Even if you're thinking about the rest of your, your next turn and like oh, that's not playing the game. Flesh and Blood really did well in solving this issue by adding at least the illusion of players playing the turn at the both sides of the turn at the same time, because if a player it's if it's their turn, they're attacking, the opponent can be using their cards to block. Marvel Snap is completely simultaneous. We're all playing on the same time. Everything is revealed at the same time, etc., etc. Like if you play those games and you go back and you play Magic the Gathering, you'll you'll notice it. You'll be like, "What the hell? Like, why am I sitting here while my opponent ticks up their triggers and puts?" It's like it's 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 an archaic design at this point, I think, and um, it does look like Lokana is going is going in that direction, where it's very much I go, you go. So I'm not necessarily convinced that they're not going to explore, uh, quote unquote, instant speed uh, and things like that. Where you're, because when so for those who are n- not necessarily indoctrinated into magic terminology or TCG terminology, sorcery speed means that you can only the the generalization of it is that you can only play on your own turn. Instant speed means that you can find priority windows on a stack where you can make a play. Um, I am not convinced that they're not going to go to that. I'm not even convinced that you can't exert or quote unquote tap uh, a character on your in response to something your mm. opponent does. I think that that might be uh, something that they, they they'll just be like, well, we haven't released a, you know, like there's, there's cards that are action cards. Action cards might just be sorcery. That might be what it is. There might be something beyond that might be like fast action or something like that. Like Runeterra has fast and burst and and slow speeds. Um, It could be that. Also, they might just say, hey, there's two ways that we can play the game for the when you're introducing a new player to magic, you don't bust out the nexus of fake. Uh, nexus of fate loop and and bore them out of the you know you don't do that to them you say all right i have red you have green you have creatures i have damage spells let's let's go to town like that's kind of what you do you you basic you, you sort of boil it down to the core rule set and the core interactions and you have a game i think that they might actually have something where hey there's like there's the basic rule are we playing basic rules or are we playing competitive rules and maybe in basic rules you do play at sorcery speed and maybe in competitive rules that's when cards that have instant speed are then playable on both turns and that's where you can exert somebody like uh who was it aurora or something that could or no or elsa that can freeze your opponent yeah maybe in that regard that's when when it happens and that's when something like magic mirror that we saw earlier maybe it's like okay you did nothing on your turn you're passing turn priority i'm gonna tap draw card untap on my turn and that is a very regular play for 
blue players, frankly, in uh, in Magic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, you wanna you wanna learn magic? Let's play some vintage cube. <laughs> Don't do, like. Well, that's the thing, right? It's yeah, like it's you, I, I I remember a friend of mine actually wanting to get into magic back when I was like playing on MTG Arena, and they're like, "Well, just like let me just watch you play." And I queue into a match. I I, I put up like some like um um elementals list, like red, green, blue elementals. Uh, around M20 when that came out and I queue mm-hmm. into Nexus of Fate and I was like I was like we're doing our turns and as soon as they popped it off they're like dude what's going on I was like we lose they're like how do we lose we have like 20 life they have like four I said no no because we're gonna sit here for 30 minutes and watch them basically sort out their life and we're, we lose and like that was the ultimate turnoff so I think that there has to be a, a, a way to appeal to both types of players. Yeah. Just a funny anecdote off of that. It's just like my evolution as a card game player, right? Um, so I played Magic originally, and I was like, I started playing, and I was like, I did some Friday Night Drafts and stuff, and I was like, oh, Limited is just the best format. I don't know anybody why anybody would play Constructed. It's just kind of it's kind of scripted. It's the same cards, like yada, yada, yada. Limited adds so much variation. And what Limited is in Magic, it's like it's all mid-range. Like, every, it's always attacking and blocking and spell here, spell there. And, like, you know, you don't have massive card advantage over the opponent. Um, and I was just like, this is the best. And then I started playing some Constructed. I would just play mid-range decks. I'd play, like, Angels. I'd play, like, you know... Uh, Godfarer's gift, like, but the one that reanimated stuff, and it's just like I and I would play against these control players. I was like, why would somebody play this deck? Like, this is so sadistic. Like, they just sit there, they just counter what I do, and like, then they just win off this like dumb card. And the next fate, and I never understood that. Same thing happened in Flesh and Blood for a bit, but then. Then I transformed, like. <laughs> then I, I know, transformed. <laughs> then well, I started playing Fab. Played a major tournament. Played this very cheesy uh katsu control deck which did super well and like now flake i'm on the complete opposite side like i only want my opponent to not play the game i only want to play combo decks which like don't interact at all and like now i actually appreciate magic i'm like you can't like i feel like you can't like magic the gathering if you actually want to play like a good game if you want to do broken stuff and just like do your thing like magic is just so good for that oh and you're the one who Put me onto the the whole the whole mantra that fun is zero sum, and I want yeah. all of it. The fun, the fun what, in this game is finite. And I will be having all of it. Basically, you psycho. <laughs> um, all right, I, I, I want to quickly touch upon what prizes can be because this is you know what do you what do you want OP to be is one thing. It's structure and frequency, etc. But at the same time, there's got to be some cheese. At the end of that, uh, for of that sure. trail, right? Let's, so let's talk about that cheese because there's there's multiple ways of doing it. So one thing I want to point out is One Piece DCG. They do only promos, and there's other games that have done that. Um, Fab, like Flesh and Blood, had a robust organized play scene. They would, you know, nowadays they're putting up a million dollars. Back in the day, they're even putting up 10k. The organized play scene was still supplemented by promos. Those promos for winning and top rating, they were selling for tens of thousands of dollars and even thousands like that. They're like their road to national, so they're lower level uh, competitive play. Those you weren't winning money, but those promos are selling for a lot of a lot of money. So promos is an option. My issue with promos is that they're basically a Ponzi, like they're Ponzi nomics, right? You can't. You can only print so much. They can, you kind of have to roll into the next one. You have to create this sort of weird sense of hype around them so that they're actually valuable. When in in reality, they're not. They're not valuable at all. And the market sort of sets that. And I think that it's like a really, really fragile system and not a great way to be compensated as a player. Um, 
I do hope that they come out with some sort of top end cash pricing. I think that's totally reasonable. But I do know that, like, for instance, if we look at an example, like One Piece DCG, their organized play system is, um, I don't know if I can use the word use the word going well, but it does seem to be going well. It's very popular. It sells out instantly, and people are selling the promos for a lot. So it's actually worth to play the tournaments. I just don't think that that system in particular is uh, is particularly sustainable. And I also think that like. It's just a weird system. The fact that it like even works at all is like it's just kind of seems like it's uh it just happens, you know, it's kind of it's not by design almost. Yeah, I just think of those like those extended arc tunics yeah, are I had four of them. They you, yeah, they're ridiculous. How much did you like that's the thing, right? Like you're talking 2, about two thousand a piece. So yeah. for in so to bring up this this sort of quick example, so you guys can everybody can get an example uh get a get an idea. Flesh and Blood had like a pretty low level of Competitive players called like Roads and Nationals is basically like your regional, I guess. Like you would play in like Texas, maybe you go to Oklahoma, maybe you go to Kansas if you're me. You play as tournaments. Um, but the num- first prize is extended art tunic. You'd typically be playing around like 50 against 50 players. Those tunics ended up selling for $2,000 each, which is just wild. Yeah. And they're finite. Like that's the thing is that mm-hmm. there's a gigantic controversy surrounding uh, the promise that was made by Legend Story Studios that they would not reprint those. So all the extras got destroyed on video. Well, that was actually the gold ones. That's the thing. So that, Oh, so, those are the gold foil ones. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. So the gold foil ones. So the extended ones I had were just rainbow foil, but the gold ones were like, OG. so I had a gold foil as well from the first tournament in Austin, Texas, which was like back in 2019 when the game first launched. And that sold for 20 K. But if I had sold it later, it would have sold for 50 K, which is obviously a ridiculous amount of money. And, Everything was different back then when that happened and totally ridiculous. But yeah, long story short, I don't think that promos are a great way of uh, sort of supplementing organized play. I think I think that's that. I mean, supplementing it, perhaps like it's nice when you go to a tournament and everybody gets a, a very exclusive promo card that, you know, or the top eight, everybody in the top eight gets this very exclusive promo and whatnot. And like, should you choose to sell it or do whatever? Like, that's just it's a very cost effective way to yeah it's free like it just it's literally they print ink on cardboard and they go yeah this is rare and it's like right it's great for them it's great well that's it and it's like it's a great way to sort of you know boost and improve a prize structure for a tournament be it from small from small potatoes to a bigger thing but i think that from what i have what i've observed in the past while in the past six or seven years of competitive card games that i've observed is that if you want to be serious about organized play in tcgs the baseline the ticket to entry is a million dollars usd that is the absolute floor that if you don't show up with like seven digits you are laughed at it's like what is this this is this is nothing this is this is bogus it's it's fake it's whatever you have to show up with that much money as a a, in a prize pool now disney has that in in the couch cushions like that's not a problem that is it's never going to be about the money what i think it has to be about is that it's it's making sure that there's enough events and enough cheese to go around uh for for players to say well if it's all top loaded in in the world championships. If world championships is like two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and then the remainder, the seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, is spread amidst a thousand different tournaments across the world. You know, what am I going to go to a two k and bust my ass for uh, training for so long? And I, if I top it, maybe I I win like a thousand bucks. Like, sure, that's great. Don't get me wrong. I think the important part is having. It's it's those mid tier tournaments that have prizing where the money is is there as well, and. 
one of the things about this game that I find is like, you always come back to the fact that it finances is never going to be an issue. You always have Disney to lean on and say, Hey, we need this for that. And I understand that it's Ravensburger that's doing this and it's not necessarily Disney, but they're a Disney licensee and they're, this isn't their first go around. They created the game called villainous, which has mm-hmm. Marvel IP and uh, star Wars IP. So in terms of standard Disney characters, clearly Disney trusts them to say, Hey, you did these other two. We're going to come back to you. But what I'm what I'm thinking about is like other card games that are out there that were really good, but if they had once like if they f- stumbled once, there was no net to catch them. They were done because a lot of the money that they invested needed a return, and if not, then it's like lights out bankruptcy or whatnot. I've seen this in games like Mythgard that was exceptional. Like those are some very good games, but they were done in small groups. This is a different story. This is this behemoth of a company that can say, all right. Um, we're going to have some tournaments in 2023, uh, but 2024 is when we start doing the entire thing, which is going to culminate into a world championship. That's going to be in Disney world in Orlando or whatever. And it's going to have a $500,000 prize pool. But beyond that $5 million right out of the game. (laughs) And I honestly would not be surprised if they just said, we want to come out with a bang. We're going to start with a three to $5 million, uh, prize pool for, uh, for the first go round. I do have a question because, like, honestly, the first time I saw a million dollar prize pool was back for like some of the OG like Dota internationals, um, and back then that was a big deal. But it's twenty twenty three. A million dollars is like it's great, but like I feel like on the inflation, it's like when are we gonna have like the ten million dollar circuit or something like that? Well, it's like everybody goes for this like psychological little uh, little little notch of a million dollars, but it's like I don't know. It's just funny how all these all these games. It's like they just sort of. They always go for that number specifically, and so eventually that number becomes not special. Well, it comes to the point where somebody's gonna like they're gonna announce it one million dollars, and the first thing you think of is the Austin Power meme. With yeah, the, yeah, you know, like one, uh, that's yeah. precisely what it, it it has come to. That's when I say the baseline is a million dollars. That's the that is getting you balcony seats at the at the concert, right? Like that's kind of where you're at. You're getting the nosebleeds for a million dollars. Some companies can only justify that. And that's still a big amount. Again, it, it, like you said, it, there's it, there's certain optics to put printing a, a press release with a million dollars as a prize uh, as your prize pool. I think with something like Lorcana and the backing of Disney, they don't want to putz around. They want to show up and be like, okay, cool, 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 double it. Like that's yeah. kind of what they want to do. Yeah. So as we close out, sort of talking about OP, I just want to say that if anybody from Ravensburger is listening to this. You know, I really do hope that they take this in the direction of a highly, a highly developed organized play system with some top end tournaments that people can aspire to. I think that if they if they believe in their game and they believe in sort of the game systems they've designed, like I do believe the industry is actually ripe for disruption. Flesh and Blood showed that, like the fact that it was able to burst on the scene and be so successful, and now it has its own very robust organized play system that has you know, still has tons of players in it. But I think that. You know, in this current market, you see Magic coming back to paper. Also, like it is a good system, and it really adds a lot to sort of the uh, sort of consumer confidence in the product, like the integrity, and like people is being like, okay, I will buy this product. This is effectively like me opening this pack and gambling, which is like, if you think about what the hell a booster pack is, like it is. It doesn't make any freaking sense for like a game. And it's either just like a trick to get you to buy it. And it's like this little gambling, like hamster wheel thing. And the only reason we should be putting up with that is because there is organized play, because there's like longevity of this game. Other than that, freaking TCGs are just 
very, very bad board games. <laughs> like, um, so I really hope that if they are listening to this, that they, that's the direction they went. I, I, I believe that if Lorcana had a robust organized play system, they put as much effort into that as they did into the, the product because of what we've seen so far, it's been excellent. Um, I think that we are, we as players will be spoiled. Look, I think one thing before we get to uh, our mailbag, which I think that we have, we settled on Spilled Ink as our, uh, as sure. our mailbag name? Done. Sure. So whoever suggested that, thank you so much. Please uh, tweet at us because uh, somebody suggested Spilled Ink. Um, I think that you have to, when it comes down to this kind of things, you have to sort of separate rationality from pleasure because uh, they don't always entwine themselves. And mm. opening a pack is a dopamine hit that is very unique and at, at the at the moment you hear that tear, anything could happen. Anything could happen. Like, let's get real, man. It, anything could happen in that moment. Uh, but booster packs are so funny. It's like uh, I know that like in digital card games, like the the legality of them is also just like very spread across like many different countries. Like some people, like some countries don't even allow it, which is hilarious. But yeah, um, I think that if you if we as players are going to put up with booster packs and this like collectible card game uh, model, which has been you know we've seen how that plays out year over year with like many card games not being collectible in the end. Um, they have to put something else behind it, right? It can't just be like, this is a bad board game, right? And by when I say bad board game, it's not because the play, but like the acquisition of the cards to play this as a board game would be abysmal. Well, dude, imagine if like you played Monopoly and it's like, okay, I need to open, like how many more boxes do I need to open to get Park Place? Like that's just, that they did that. That's the McDonald's Monopoly game. Like that's kind of what that is, right? So, uh, all right. So that wraps it up for organized play on episode three of Pond Cano. Let's move on now to the uh, spilled ink mailbag segment there, Brendan. We got some wonderful people who have uh, sent questions to the show and uh, we got so got a little bit of time so we can plow through these. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's lead off with, <laughs> let's lead off with Lacana, Germany, which is, I just think that these names are <laughs> like, I've seen so many names. It's like Lacana dad, Lacana Germany. Lacana. It's like, all these names popping up on Twitter, but Lakana Germany says, "What do you think? Uh, what do you think for how many copies of card we can play in a single deck?" It's a great question. It's a really, really good question. Um, I'll say one thing: I don't think it's singleton. Yeah, I, I love that. I generally don't like singleton, but sixty card deck, no way. It's a singleton thing with two hundred plus cards being in the set. Um, I would guess three to four, but I haven't seen any indicator on any spoiler we've seen to be able to sort of pick what card. Uh, which one specifically, whether it's three or four? What do you think, Flake? Uh, yeah, I mean, th- there's various different card games out there that have different uh, set building things. Mythgard did it where you had uh, the set re- or the deck building restrictions was based on rarity. So a common was four ofs, uncommons three ofs, rares two ofs, and legendaries were one ofs. Uh, everything beyond that, um, you know, other card games, some had like Star Wars had zero, which was obscene. You had no deck. You find the best card you wanted, jam oh 60 God. of them if you want. It does, it's like, that's crazy. But they had different systems to sort of balance that out. I think that most games today have to have a deck building system, mainly because, you know, if there's a, if there's a card that can operate on its own, and just be a powerhouse, you'll just stack 60 of them and go crazy. I mean, obviously, that's ridiculous. But you need to have a deck building um, uh, restriction because you also it also alludes to skill where if you you need you can play around things and it's like okay I've seen three of these there could only be three I can no longer play around things I think that it's necessary I don't know how many but I suspect that there are going to be certain characters that 
are one ofs, and I think that is uh, that that's probably what what we might see down the line. Yeah, early magic taught us everything we need to know about sort of uncapped number of copies of cards and decks and things like that. And we, especially since we've seen rarity and it does look like, you know, potentially the higher rated cards are just strictly better than the others. Um, that yeah, you would just kind of jam those. I do want to quickly, before we go into the next question, talk about magic mirror real quick, because I have the infinite question of how many cards do you draw per turn? Cause 60 cards is a lot of cards in a deck. And if we're looking at, if we're trying to look at a condensed card game, you know, something less than 60 minutes. And I think that that is the, the future of modern card games. Um, draw one doesn't make a lot of sense or it does. It's a possibility, but there is the possibility for draw two, right? Draw two per turn. Uh, maybe more than that. But I do think Magic Mirror alludes to draw one per turn because the cost on drawing a single card here is very, very high. So the more cards you draw by default per turn as baked into the game rules and system sort of increases or decreases the value of the card respectively. And I think because of the high cost specifically on Magic Mirror, it does lead me to think that we are more in a draw one scenario. Sorry, I asked my own question asked and answered my own question there on Spilled Ink, but <laughs> let's go ahead and head to the next one. <laughs> Works out, I guess. Uh, this one's from uh, Artem uh, from uh, from Lorcania.com. A wonderful person. Also, another great, uh, great, great uh, member of the community. Go check out Lorcania.com. Do we expect a fourth type of card in the first set? If yes, which one? So we have character, we have action, and we have item now. What would be your fourth prediction? Companion. <laughs> oh, God, man. <laughs> I'm just I'm joking because those absolutely ruined magic for a bit. Um I let's think, because we have I so we have items, we have uh we have spells, we have creatures. What else could it be? I mean, like I think I ooh. I think there could be like a, a like a quests. I think there could be quests, like side missions outside of the sort of other way. You know, rather than just being sort of one way to play the game, like clear your creatures here, do this, try to win board state. Like there's like quests where you have these sort of side missions um, to win throughout the game. Yeah, think of it something like this. Like if, if we're playing on that premise, imagine there was a quest that you play on the board and it's like, okay, it's two, cost two or three or whatever. And it says, you know, score two lore if you have 20 total strength on the board mm -hmm. and then banish this quest or something like that like at the as soon as you have 20 or more you know strength like it, things like that i think that that's uh it it, it extends the avenues or it, sorry it, it increases the amount of avenues that you have to attain a win condition and i think that that's uh um i think that that's definitely something I was thinking more of, for example, in Magic, there's uh, there's enchantments, things mm -hmm. that live on the board that have these um, perma effects that affect the board. I think that that might be something. I don't know what you'd call them, uh, you know, storylines or something like that, or you know, but it might be something along the lines like all of your uh, pirates or all of your whatevers, all of your frozen characters have plus one strength or something like that. Might be. Uh, something that I think would uh, would probably be the next thing that we might see. Yeah, I think the enchantments are close to being synonymous with items. They just follow like a different set of parameters that you could bake into items anyway. So I think if there was like a like a fourth like really distinguishable card. It would be something like that's either like a quest or it's like some sort of like a scenario, right? Like maybe you have like world cards that like 
take you to like, okay, you're in the jungle with Robin Hood or, okay, we're in, uh, you know, the Beauty and the Beast castle and it like changes things on the board. Maybe, you know, like all beasts get plus one plus oh, or like some, I don't know, something like that. So like, I want to ask you this question because <laughs> I love this question. This is from Whippet Plays um, on Twitter. They say, what do you think about my theory uh, what do you think about my theory that the swirl around the cost hexagon indicates that you can use lore as an alternative slash additional paymentcy currency on top of ink? Okay, so I I like this idea where you can distance yourself from your win condition mm-hmm. in order to find an alternative cost for a card. Now, here's why I don't think that's going to happen. The reason why I don't think that's going to happen is because I believe if you can jam it up on the screen again for uh, healing glow. Mm-hmm. Healing Glow has it, and it's a one-cost card. And something like Maleficent has it, and it's a nine-cost card. So there's no distinguishing, um, I think, I don't think there's any distinguishing uh, characteristics of it. If you look at both, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I think they just look exactly the same. So if you're giving up one or two lore to play a one-cost card or one or two lore to play a nine-cost card... That does not make sense. Now, I could see if the stuff around it had various different indicators of like, okay, five or four or three, that could be a nice different sort of trade-off. Obviously, it's associated to cost, I would I would venture, but I don't think that that is what that means. I think that's a good theory for Whippet, to be honest. Um, I'm actually more inclined to use that as my working theory to be honest right now than whatever i had before which is like i don't freaking know um but it sounds very very possible to be honest because that symbol whatever is going on around the resource cost here i mean that is that is what's on the back of the cards that's like this yeah something like that um so yeah what i don't think it is is i don't think like it's some sort of like a devotion or distinguishment in like color if you were in some sort of like land based thing so if this had the that symbol around that you had to use like color from that resource etc and if it didn't it was like whatever color you want i don't think that's it so i actually like this theory from whip it yeah i just want you to agree with me like once just once, i agree man. with you all the time <laughs> uh thank you whip it uh, appreciate it all right last one is from pat smash good do you foresee the OP system in line with other TCGs is possibly a pro circuit or something more akin to, say, Command Fest environment. So we talked about, um, you know, what our, our envisionment would be of um, an OP system, what we would like to have. In this case, I guess the question here is, would these tournaments have more of like a casual feel, more of like a, a you know, the like the way I'll, I'll, I'll put it is that the prizes are not necessarily top heavy. It's like, all right, well, there's uh, 400 people. We're going to give prizes to the top half of the of the bracket. So, you know, everybody gets a little sprinkle. Well, I don't think that these things are mutually exclusive, right? So I think that you can't have big tournaments, but also have like casual ways to play the games at those tournaments. Because like if you do, you put on a big tournament, you do it in a convention center, you bring in artists, you bring in like cosplayers, like reasons for people to go to the attraction outside of just playing the competitive uh, main event. Um, so I think that they can exist together. I do, to answer past questions specifically, I do really hope that there is... You know, it's more in line with the pro circuit, to be honest, rather than some sort of like you have these command fests, which is just kind of like a glorified meetup. I think it's like I guess it's everything without it's pretty much everything there would be in like a pro circuit without the actual competitive tournament. Um, at least for a new game, that would absolutely not be compelling enough for me to travel. And I think that 
I would extrapolate that a lot of the people that I know would think the same is that they would travel for, I guess, quote unquote, a reason outside of more than just you know, playing the game with strangers. No, I agree. I agree. Um, uh, I'm, this isn't to say that they can't have something alongside the major tournaments. Like most tournaments have, you know, like you go to a, a magic tournament and it's like, hey, here's the pro tour. And oh, there's like uh, the command zone next to it. Like they have those things running simultaneously. I think that that's perfectly fine. I think, in fact, it's probably recommended that if you're going to try to push these tournaments and get more people to try them out, some people might just go to one of these events and say, well, I don't want to actually play in the main event. I just want to see what it's about. And I don't want to just observe. I want to participate. What do you have for me? And for things like callings or, or you know, um, magic circuits or whatever, they have side events. Like SCG puts on them, Channel Fireball had them on, or it's like, you just want to show up. And I have friends, uh, you have friends, we all have friends who go to these things purely to do the side events and have that social aspect. I used to be that guy. <laughs> were, were you? No, were you kidding? I used to be that guy. I used to. I mean, I used to go to these. Ma- I went to a couple of Magic Fest just to fucking draft. Which to me is like, I think about that, and I'm like, wow, I was a psychopath. That doesn't make any sense. But like, if you just love the game and you're trying to have fun, like it's it's pretty attractive, to be honest. I look. There's that is one of my favorite things. Like in my mind, I was like, please knock me out of this tournament on day one, so <laughs> I can do things on day two, or let me have a really awesome record. Like the worst scenario is losing in day two and not making the cut because you just wasted two straight days. Like to me, when like at, at the calling in Indianapolis, I was like, just knock me out early or or let me win the whole thing. Like that yeah. was kind of my, my mentality there. I do wonder if anybody else has gone through this metamorphosis, but my evolution as a card game player is like now, if I go to something like a call or like a major tournament, like a PT, even a PT, like even PT calling, if I get knocked out, I'm like, don't even, don't. Talk about flesh and blood to me. Don't even smell like flesh and blood. I'm going to do anything that's not flesh and blood. I'm going, we're going out to the city. We're getting dinner. No card games. Like, don't even come near me. Like, the idea, like, nowadays when people are like, I remember I was at, I was at uh, an armory and I got to buy it one round. Um, and someone was like, hey, do you want to, do you want to play a game? And I brought Kano and they're like, I have my prism deck. And I was just like, honestly, no, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I do not. No, I feel you on that. When I got knocked out of the calling, I was, uh, the, I, I'm just like, on that particular day, I was like, just get me out of this venue, like immediately. <laughs> like, please, if I could, there was an ejector button and a hole in the ceiling, I would have been out of there as fast as possible. But day yeah. two is different because I showed up with no pressure and I was like, sign me up for Tales of Aria Limited, sign me up for this limited. And then we go to dinner at like, we went to dinner at like 4 p.m. So I was like, I don't want anything to do with this after this. But I, I totally see yeah. that. You said that metamorphosis happens. I feel you because when you invest in it that much and then you get you get knocked out, you're like, don't. Yeah. Like you said, don't even use those letters. Like, yeah, <laughs> for me, it's like for me, it's not the bad. It's like the, not the bad feeling of losing. It's more like once I check out of like the main event, I just don't want anything to do with the game. I'm just like, I'm just chilling. We're doing anything except fab. But then like uh, we're going to wrap so quickly. But quick shout out to some prominent Flesh and Blood players, Michael Fang and his whole crew. Like I hung out with them in a couple tournaments and we finished we finished the day one. We've been playing Flesh and Blood for 10 hours. We're all locked in day two. They go back and they draft. And I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> Different species, man. Like they're honestly, they're, they're built. They're just not love the, born. Love the game. All right. Well, that wraps up this building. Thank you to everybody who submitted questions uh, for episode three. We're going to, um, you know, always dig into the mailbag. We appreciate you guys. If you want to reach out to us on Twitter at PodCana, and you can send all your thoughts and uh, musings there, or maybe you just want to 
pick one of us and throw us some love. You can see our Twitter accounts there at Brendan APG or at Watch Flake. Brendan, great episode, man. I, I, I'm, I honestly am looking up big time. The more that comes out for Lorcana, the more I'm, I'm getting excited about it. I'm super excited about it. And I know I've seen like, you know, we, there's, there's a lot we don't know about the game. That's a fact. But I, when I look at the, what we're presented with thus far, it, it, set, it seems like quality. It smells like quality, I'll say. And that bodes well. And I also see hints towards like an organized place system being important to Ravensburger, which is great for me. Um, but yeah, I had a great episode as well. I want people to let us know in the comments what they think the Disney IP is, uh, what what sort of generation that's that's directed at. Because I'm actually really interested. You know, do kids actually watch this? Like, is Disney a kid's thing these days? Especially when they're using cards like Hades. Like, that's a VHS movie, period. I used to rewind that thing in the VHS thing. I remember that, dating myself a bit. And um, yeah, I mean, also, if you, for any topics you want us to cover sort of in the next pods, let us know. Where I mean, we're, we're up for sort of anything on that. Yeah, I do also want to remind everybody that until the summertime, we're going to be doing this podcast every two weeks. We don't want to sort of burn ourselves out with the little tidbits of information. Uh, we're not going to spend a whole episode trying to break down what quote unquote spring means. Yeah, we're talking to you, Lord Canna. Uh, but we will uh, we'll get into the crux of the matter in uh, two weeks from now. And, and so until then, for Brendan and I, be kind to one another. We'll see you next time on Podcana. Bye, everyone. <laughs>